you need to get that girl or whoever you've got with you landed on the sands at the jetty. If you miss that and they got washed down, then they weren't counted. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're celebrating 100 years of our museums by looking in depth at 100 of our favourite objects and the stories that they can tell. Today's object takes us under the surface of the history of Morecambe Bay. It was awarded to people who competed in one of this area's toughest challenges. Today's object is a cross base swim badge. The badge is circular and made of embroidered fabric and is about 10 centimetres in diameter. Inside a black border, the image shows the head and arm of a swimmer visible in a bluey-grey sea. Behind them can be seen a sailboat and the mountains of the Lake District. Surrounding this central image are the words Morecambe Cross Bay Swim. Sadly, when this badge was produced and who it was awarded to are no longer known. However, there are many people still living in this area who remember the spectacle of the Cross Bay Swim. The story goes that the first cross-bay swim was completed in 1907 after an argument between local swimmers and fishermen about whether it would be possible to swim across the bay. Local swimming clubs invited a Professor Stern from Manchester, who was then training to swim the channel, to make the attempt, which he successfully completed that summer. Proceeds gathered from spectators went to help form the Cross-Bay Swimming Association, and the first official cross-bay swim championship was held in October 1907. A ladies' championship was introduced in 1912, and, with the exception of some breaks during war years, the event became a mainstay of Morecambe life until 1991, when it was suspended due to changes in tides and the topography of the bay. To find out more about the swim and the people involved, we spoke to Charlie Overit, a former fisherman, ex-trawler and cargo vessel skipper, and a pilot for the Cross Bay Swim. He started by telling us how he got involved, and how old he was when he first rode for the Cross Bay Swim. Well, I reckon 13, 14, 15, and then when I was 15, obviously left school, then I went to sea then, and that was my life. So, see, then three years, there was quite a few of us, young lads, that were always rowing and hanging about with the local fishermen, and they were really good to us, the teachers, this, that, and the other. And then when it come to the inshore swim, plus the cross-bay swim, we were the guys that did the rowing, and we was always rowing, so we, we could do that. It was okay as long as the wind wasn't southerly, and usually in the in the summertime it comes to the northwest and you get that breeze. But the current's helping you. But if the wind's southerly and you've got to row against that bit of a breeze, then it was hard work. But don't forget the current's still helping you down. That's why you could do it. The cross bay swim that was brilliant because the main pilot would be Dick Woodhouse. Now he would tell us do this, guys, do that. And then we would follow his advice. We're only junior pilots. But once we got to the, the near channel, near to the east side of the bay, use your own initiative then, because the current is then setting you down very fast to the west. And you need to get that girl or whoever you've got with you landed on the sands at the jetty called the ring sands. And if you miss that and they got washed down and had to be pulled in by their rescue vessel, then they weren't counted. So that was important for you to keep well into the east, follow the sandbank round, 
at the end of the sandbank nipper at right angles, whereas you'd slide down sideways plus going in and you could land them. There'd be crowds on the stone jetty and there'd be crowds around the Midland area because that was the beach where they would land the, the swimmers. So the swimmers would get there, come out of the water and have to walk up the sand and people would be watching. Plenty of people, yeah. It was a big thing. The main pilot was one of the best fishermen. He was also coxswain of Morecambe lifeboat and he used to teach the sea cadets. So he was A1. He was terrific. So he would teach us junior pilots. But all the guys like me and my pals, we all used to fish round the bay, go in the trawlers, push nets on the sand. So we were all kind of very young, but kind of skilled, if you will, at a very early age. That's all we ever did. Charlie went on to tell us a few more details about how the swim worked and the experience of the day itself. If there's 10 swimmers, there's 10 boats. They might not have even been 10, they might have been 8, eight swimmers or whatever they could muster up at that time. Sometimes on the inshore one that we did, there were quite a few doing that, but that was only like a couple of mile one way and a couple of mile back. But say you're 8 to 10 people across the bay, yeah. All amateur from all over the place, like Dorothy from Bradford. Mr Fosberg from local here and then the others could be from everywhere. There were two different routes. I mean Grange to Morecambe was say seven miles and that was from up right at the top end of the bay but the Fleetwood one is right out of the bay down to Fleetwood where you would get the flood tide then and follow the flood tide up till we got to Morecambe for about high water. I think the length of the swim would be three and a half to four hours. And don't forget, by then, the tide then is dropping and Morecambe Bay has a very fast current. So that really when we're setting off from Grange to Morecambe, mainly that is helping us to get across. The current is setting in the direction that we want to go. The current is helping us as well and helping the swimmers. Because Morecambe Bay has got a very strong flood tide and a strong ebb tide. In other words, really, it's a dangerous bay if you didn't know what you were doing. We would go over the bay, towed by the main pilot boat. So if there was eight boats, we'd all get towed across to Grange, seven mile. We'd wait there until the current was very slack, which probably an hour off high water. Then the main pilot would say, right, guys, let's get ready. They'd all jump in the water, all full of Vaseline and grease, and then off they would go. Then that main pilot boat then had to leave that area because the tide was going low, it was getting very shallow at times and with him being a bigger trawler, he would have to go and look for deeper water. So then he'd have to leave us lot to row and use our own initiative. First in the ladies or first in the men's, they won a cup. But not only that, the junior pilots like us, we got a cup. Or we didn't get it, but we got our name on a cup. I got my name on, see over as a junior pilot, for Dorothy becoming first. But not to take home, just to say, right, there it is. There were a few individuals that Charlie remembers particularly from his time with the swim. Two winners that he piloted, Dorothy Perkins and Gerald Fosberg, and Dick Woodhouse, the main pilot during Charlie's time. I was lucky enough to be allotted Dorothy Perkins from Bradford. 
and she was fantastic. And so was the trainer, who was an ex-wrestler. And then in years to come, he became a good friend of mine. He was, he was a really nice bloke. I've worked with a few swimmers, but the only other swimmer I can think of was the famous Gerald Fosberg. And that was a swim from Fleetwood to Morecambe. It was a local man in the Navy, a war hero, and then a, a salvager after the war, salvaging all sorts of ships. I got allotted him, and I had my plan, because we were fishing in that area a lot because it was summertime, and he said to me, oh, I've got my own plan. And I didn't know the guy at all. I didn't know he was a commander or nothing. I just said, well, listen, I've got my plan because it's a plan that I use for fishing and towing with the flood tide. He went, yeah, okay then, you do yours and let's see what happens. So I did it mine, and then on the letter that I got from him, I got him back seven minutes ahead of his scheduled time, and he was very, very pleased. After that, we'd become kind of friends, really. We would meet on the promenade and talk together, and it was a lovely, lovely experience. You couldn't get a nicer guy and a more professional guy than, than him. And it was I was quite proud to, to pilot him and do well for him, really. So that was um, a feather in the cap, really. But Dick Woodhouse would have been the planner because his knowledge of the bay, if any of them went adrift, he would go and pick them up as a rescue boat and he would manage everybody, yeah. He was coxswain the lifeboat, he was a great fisherman and, and great at teaching young people all about knots in the sea. So he was the he was the main man. He was a very good man in a boat. That's how to explain Dick Woodhouse. Dorothy Perkins also worked with Charlie again, but this time in a very different body of water when he agreed to become her pilot on Windermere. Because she won and the other two, and I think there were women, got washed further down, that become that she was a winner. And it was my knowledge of that little area where I used to push my net around that I kept her well in and at one time she shouted to me, Charlie, I've just touched the bottom. I said, don't worry, we'll pull a little bit out to the west till it gets deeper, but we must keep to that sandbank until we come to the point of it, then we could go at right angles and slide sideways into the jetty. She won. And then she got with her family and they were so pleased that we got her there and, and she won. They asked me would a pilot her the full length of Windermere. It wasn't like piloting, it was just a matter of rowing because you could see where you're going. And I said, yeah, I will do, I'll, I'll row with you, definitely. And with the same uh, trainer, the wrestler, which he was a cracking bloke, called Bert Robertson. We would keep her to the right-hand side of my eye, so when we're rowing, she would be very near the stern of the boat. But for me, for rowing Windermere, it was easy for a few reasons. A, there was no current. B, there was very little wind. And there was no sea or swell. So, to me, it was a really easy easy row. They paid me well and fed me well. The boats were long and slim, so they would be easy to row, not like a Morecambe Bay punt, what the fishermen used. They were short and squat, but it took a long time. It took over six hours, I think, if I remember rightly. Before we finished, we spoke to Charlie about his other enduring childhood memory of water and swimming, the Morecambe Super Swimming Stadium. I was never away from Morecambe Swimming Baths. And as soon as that they opened, me and a couple of other pals used to try and get our pass, the lowest number that we could. We could never get number one, but we'd probably be around six or seven. We were the sixth person to, to have it. We used to try for that. We was always swimming. We're always with the diving boards. 
And of course, we knew the swimmers and the divers. They did a proper dives, obviously. They're all professional divers. But then there was a part where they dressed up and enacted the goat. And one day they said, why don't we put Charlie up and in some clothes and we'll just kick him off the board. So they did. And it went down a treat. So one or two of the acts, they put me in it. And one was where I was sat on the end of the second diving board and a ladder would come along they were carrying as a joke, hit me on the head and knocked me off and I'd roll down into a dive and into the water. I did go off the top board, not dive, I used to jump off it, but you weren't allowed to do it, so when nobody's about, I used to do it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. There's lots more subjects to dip into in our other episodes, where we talk about everything from cycling to sunbathing.